of my study this morning is called The Betrayed Messiah, out of Luke chapter 22, verses 35 through 71. So we're, I'm going to read a little bit from our portion of scripture, and then we'll dive into this and divide the text verse by verse. So beginning with verse 35 of chapter 22, it says, And he said to them, When I sent you without money, bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Then he said to them, But now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude. And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Then those around him saw what was going to happen. Then they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. What we're seeing this morning is the betrayed Messiah. And that's what I see here. Uh, of Just so you guys know, this whole trial that Judas took and betrayed Jesus with, when they took him there at night, it was completely against the Jewish law. They were not to have trials in the middle of the night, and the whole council needed to be there. So they illegally took him. And if you notice, I like how they did it in the movie where the Roman guards are asking what's going on. And the lady's saying, oh, they, they took Jesus. They arrested him in the middle of the night. And then the Sanhedrin guy, like, he's like, oh, he tries to cover it up. Like, oh, it's just, she's crazy. Or just dealing with a criminal. But what Jesus, right here at the beginning of, of beginning with verse 35, one last thing that he gives his disciples before he gets arrested because he's about to depart from them. It's like the last things. Imagine the last moments that Jesus has with them and this is his last little exhortation to them. It's pr about preparing, about the time that we're living in today, the time where Jesus is not in his body right now. He says in verse 35 again, he says, and he said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Remember, Jesus, he sent his disciples out before, 70 of them, to go do the work and ministry of him. Jesus' ministry was preaching, teaching, and healing, and he sent 70 men out to go evangelize and perform miracles and preach the gospel. And when he's told them to go, he said, look, don't take any money bag or knapsack or sandals with you originally. That was what he first told them. Because he wanted to teach them how to rely on God without their own provisions. And that's a lesson that I myself had to learn day by day. 
of learning not to trust and rely on my own resources or what God has blessed me with, but to trust in God. I remember I, I got to experience this amazing hike through the Amazon jungle. And we went in the middle of the night to go hunting. And there was this long, crazy journey ahead of us that we had no idea. We were thinking we were going to go out for a couple hours uh, and then come back with a, a cool story of hunting to tell. But that two-hour trip that we only took, you know, maybe a water bottle for turned into a nine-hour journey into the jungle that we were not prepared for. And I remember go going through that process and seeing all these giant bugs and spiders and all this craziness um just feeling like this sense of because this was on a mission during a missions trip and i was you know walking with the lord at the time young in my faith and i just remember this feeling of of, of test and and testing was like kind of just like this uh in my heart and in my mind of the lord was like allowing me to go through this little miniature test into the jungle and it was a test also of faith because I, I remember just really desiring, I didn't want to come back without saying we, we killed something, we caught something, something that we could eat. And so we were going out and we, I was praying, Lord, just, just, you know, we were actually, we were hunting, um, and I'm sorry if there's any monkey lovers out there, but we were hunting monkeys, little monkeys. And uh, we were looking for them for hours and uh, you could ask uh Chachi Martinez all about this. He was with me. And man, we were going so deep and after a while it was it was becoming uh physically disheartening to say the least. And then finally I was praying and I just felt like for myself at the time I was asking God to to strengthen my faith and I was like, "Lord, maybe we're not catching anything right now because my faith isn't there." And I just remember saying, "But God, you know what? You if anything, I, I'm just thankful for this journey. I'm thankful for this amazing hike that, you've t that you're taking me on in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden, boom, this loud shotgun goes off, like right next to my head. And I'm like, whoa. And they, this Amazonian like hunter dude who is like, looked like he was like 150 years old, uh, he shot and killed what, what this thing was called a spotted paca. And it looks like a giant guinea pig, basically. Um, but he shot it. And, and we, I was like, oh my gosh, like the Lord like brought to us an animal so we could go back with our win. Um, but on the way back, man, we ran out of water because we weren't prepared for such a long journey. Oh, there's a, a, probably about a group of 12 of us. We ran out of water. And we were thirsty. And like, because I, I actually, I had a water backpack, but that only got so far amongst 12 of us. Uh, and so I remember I started to share, and it, it was gone soon. And you're in the jungle, you're sweating, it's hot. And, and then as we were tracking our way back, man, it was like the Lord just brought us to this patch of pineapples. And then the Amazonian guy was like, hey, pineapples, and he started chopping them up. And it was the best pineapple I've ever had in my entire life. Because literally, it was like we were like dying of thirst. I don't know about dying, but we were like, we were we like we were thirsty, and we had no more water. It's a long. It's you could technically something could bad could have gone wrong, but he found those pineapples and he chopped them all up. We were took a little break and we were just oh man, being so blessed by these pineapples. Uh, and then we made it back, and I just was like feeling like wow. And I remember I was, when we came back, I was so dehydrated. I like just slept the whole morning, and and only to find out actually the next. Uh, Actually, years later, I found out from uh, Chachi Martinez that we actually stumbled across this lady's pineapple uh, like crops, and and we had to pay her back for the pineapples. <laughs> well, she didn't. Have, we we did pay her back for those pineapples. Um, but one thing I just remember feeling is like being tested, being completely just like wow, like the Lord has throughout my life in instances here and there showed me, look, I can't rely and trust on my own resources. And that was something that Jesus wanted to teach his disciples when he was with them. Because there was going to come a time when he was going to step away from them. And in verse 36, he says, Then he said to them, But now he who has money, a money bag, let him take it. 
and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment to buy one. So now this is a, a different stage now of the disciples' walk where he's encouraging them to trust him and to use the resources that he's given them. And what I see my first point of my study this morning, point number one, is to prepare in wisdom. You know, God's given us gifts. He's given us finances and, and resources, family members, friends, the church, to use with wisdom and discernment. You know, and there's a balance. Because, remember Jesus, he told the parable of the rich man who said, you know what, I'm going to tear down my barns and then I'm going to rebuild them so much greater than what they are. And I'm going to use that to store all my crops in. And he's thinking financially, this is going to be such a great avenue for himself. And then God comes to the rich man in this parable and says, fool, tonight your life is going to be taken from you. So there's, there's a balance because in that parable, the rich man was a fool because he was focusing too much on the material and on what is immediate. And there's a balance between that compared to the man, if you guys remember the, the parable of the talents, who took his talent and he buried it. He put it in a little bag, put it in a napkin, and he buried it because he didn't want it to go anywhere. He wanted to keep it safe. And the master, when he came to him, said, hey, you're an unprofitable servant. You're wicked. Depart from me into darkness. So there's a balance in our life that we could ask the Lord, give me balance with not trusting in my resources and in the finances, but using them for your glory and using that. So preparing in wisdom with that. Now Jesus, he doesn't command everyone to take all their belongings, sell all they have and give to the poor and then come follow him. That was a command that was given to the rich young ruler only. Now, we are to be wise, though, with our finances. You guys want to have a, a good foundation in, in ministry, first and foremost on the Lord. But here's a, a practical tip for us as believers here this morning. Let's stay out of debt. You guys, it, you know how hard it is to do ministry when you have the, the worry about debt in the back of your head? Man, it, it, it can be tough. God puts it on your heart to be a missionary, but now you're just looking at the finances. You know, let's be wise, be frugal. In verse 37, it says, For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So now Jesus is telling his disciples, look, in the world's eyes, and Jesus, he's about to go from being a public figure, a public prophet and an evangelist to becoming now an enemy of the state because now they're going to arrest him, they're going to try him and a, a, a very big enemy amongst the Jewish religion against the Jews, the Sanhedrin. So now these things are going to be accomplished as it is written. Actually, he's even right here quoting from the Old Testament from Isaiah Chapter 53, verse 12. He says, Therefore, in Isaiah, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. See, the Old Testament now is coming to fruition. It's actually being fulfilled by Jesus himself. And Jesus sees all this coming to an end. In verse 38, he says, So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Now there's a few strange reasons why Jesus may have said this. Or not, I shouldn't say strange, but it's kind of like what, they're, they're saying, okay, Jesus, here are the two swords. And people have different views on this. But I, I think what was going on right here is that Jesus, he was, wants them to be prepared for anything that's going to come after he leaves. 
and they're just thinking about the immediate oh he mentioned swords like that like here bring the swords to him now like may, maybe this is the time that we're going to take over rome and i wonder if this is where peter was like hey, john i'll take that sword from you and then because we're going to see in a, in a little bit later he's going to use the sword against malchus now in verse 39 we continue coming out he went out to the mount of olives as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed him. So when it says coming out, that's coming out from the upper room. Remember, where they were all gathered together for their last supper. And he goes to the Mount of Olives, this gorgeous hillside. It's not this, it's not this giant mountain when you see the word Mount of Olives. It's really this beautiful hillside with these olive trees planted there. In verse 40, when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So Jesus, knowing what is about to take place, he tells his disciples to do this, to pray. You know, first I recognize that these disciples are about to go through one of the biggest tests of their entire life. Because all their hopes, all their dreams and, and, and visions are based on Jesus, who is there with them, on him ascending the throne now in the immediate and him taking over Rome because they, they started to get a little bit confused as to the reason, the real reason of why Jesus was there. They were thinking that Jesus was going to bring the kingdom in their, their immediate time frame. Now, everything that they believe about God is being actually shaken right here. And I notice, though, that because of this, Jesus gives them this warning. And this warning, it's a method of escape in times of temptation, which leads me to my second point this morning. Point number two, pray in your tests. Now, each and every single one of us, you hear me say this all the time, you guys all have your own school, the school of Lisette, the school of Alicia, the school of Chris, of Marie. And you guys are, when I say this, I'm speaking illustratively, you guys have tests that God has specifically for you that nobody else can take but you. And sometimes he will continue to give us the same test until we pass it. So the encouragement is to pray in our tests. In verse 41, it says, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So he, go, he goes to get away from his disciples. He knows what's coming. The emotion is, is great on his heart, the sorrow. And in, in an example for us, he gets down on his knees and he prays to his father. He's saying, take this cup away from me. That cup, that illustration there that Jesus, when he's speaking to his father, he's talking about the judgment of sin. That he knows he's called to drink for us, for humanity. This judgment, this cup of, of judgment was meant for you and I here this morning. And because of him, we don't have to drink of that judgment. And Jesus right here, he's feeling a very human emotion, which is sorrow. You know, sometimes I, I think that we get condemned when we go through sorrow or depression. But I recognize that Jesus went through sorrow. That Jesus experienced feeling lonely. And the example here that Jesus is giving us is of prayer. And also when he says, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's self-denial. He's giving us that pattern to follow after. Because how hard is it for us to deny ourselves? I confess to you guys here this morning as the pastor of this church, I can be selfish. I am a selfish person at times. It's in my nature, and that's something that needs to die daily. 
You know, Jesus could have easily just set himself up as king in that time, in that era. And imagine, like, it, all who would oppose him, who came to, to try to fight him, he could have just vaporized them in a moment. But then, in my hypothetical illustration, he could have just sent them, those people who opposed him to hell, but even the people who believed in him then, when they would die, because they would have no resurrection at that point, they would just be then in Abram's bosom after they would die. But Jesus, his love was greater than all of that, where he said, look, I'm going to deny myself so that my children, my people, the believers, can be with my heavenly Father in heaven. He could have just even, if he wanted to, he could have just wiped out the whole human race and started everything over and changed things because he was there at the beginning when he created everything. But again, he denied himself. I recognize that everything that Jesus did was from love. Everything that Jesus did was out of that, that base of that agape love. And how far we are from that. So many times we, we question suffering in this life because we are the, the, the society that doesn't like suffering and anything that's uncomfortable then should not be a part of our life. And we, we question then, God, why do you allow evil? Why do you allow suffering in our life? And I have to be honest and say, you know, that's a hard question. Why does God allow terrible things to happen in our life? I don't have all the answers for that. But I, but I know God gives me little instances here and there of understanding. I'm understanding a little bit of, of why he allows certain things. And something that I see in Christ's nature, in God's nature, that at, at the beginning of time, when before he hit the play button on life, before he said, okay, let me, let me create the human race and put them here on earth with a free will. Before he did that, he already knew everything that was going to happen because he's all-knowing. Meaning he knew that there were going to be people who were murdered. He knew there was going to be wars and, and, and poverty and sickness and rape and, and, and children killed. He knew all that. And maybe the, the, the skeptic, the honest skeptic in our mind is like, well, why don't you just not start any life then so you could prevent all that evil? But he knew all of that. And he looked at you guys and he saw the time when you guys would be with him in eternity. And he said, you know what? My child is worth it to me. These ones, these believers who love me and who choose to follow me and have a relationship with me, it's worth it for me to send my son to endure the cross, the suffering. Because I love these people. And so that's why he created life. You know, one thing I, I realized that of why karma doesn't make sense is because we think, oh man, Someone was doing something bad, therefore karma comes and gets them back, right? It's like the force or something, Star Wars. But what did Jesus do that was wrong? Nothing. What did he do to deserve the cross? Nothing. No karma there in his life. He just exchanged his righteousness for our sins. And that's not the end of the story. See, when we are faced with these hard tests in life that we're going to go through, pray to the Lord and trust him through the test. You see, I, I never want to be so stuck on a plan or uh, on, on a desire that I'm going to say, Lord, this is what I want so much so that I, I don't even want your will. I just, just give me this, please, Lord God, because that's the, the furthest place I want to be in my walk is, up, is apart from the Lord. I want to be in Christ. If Christ calls me to suffer as much as I, I, I am even fearful to say that in front of you guys this morning, if Christ calls me to suffer, I'm saying, Lord, give me strength to be in your will. 
In verse 41, then the angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Now this is quite unique, and I think this is something that uh, Mel Gibson's portrayal kind of got wrong instead of, uh, he he had this kind of weird Satan type character there in the garden. Uh, But here we see an angel appears to Jesus and strengthens him. Now, even Jesus, I recognize, needed to be strengthened by an angel, which is like, wait, but Jesus is above the angel, correct? Oh, absolutely, Jesus is above the angel in his divinity. But because Jesus is 100% God and he's 100% man, in his human flesh, he needed to be strengthened. So this angel comes and strengthens Jesus in his humanity. And then in verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now this is an intense anguish, so much so that there is a medical condition that can occur called hematidrosis, which causes the, the sweat to begin to contain the blood because the sweat glands, they're surrounded by these tiny little blood vessels that can constrict and dilate to the point where they actually rupture and causing the blood to then flow into the sweat. And so this intense agony and and sorrow that Jesus is is enduring is causing the sweat to be be like drops of blood. And then in verse 45, when he rose up from prayer, and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Now, these disciples, they're sleeping from sorrow, which to me, I understand that. You know, I, I understand that in my flesh, there have been times in my life when I've been depressed, and in order to escape depression, I, I slept a lot. And that was something that even as a believer, as a young believer that I, the Lord allowed me to endure was in my depression, just I, I wanted to not be conscious so I would sleep. And that was something that the Lord had to deliver me from. And not to say that depression is, is a sin, but it was something I, I had to endure with, with the Lord and just invite Jesus in that. But Jesus, he says to his disciples here, rise and pray lest they fall into temptation, lest they enter into temptation. And it's that same idea of praying in our tests. Remember how to defeat the devil that James talks about in James chapter four, verse seven? It says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is a pattern then for us of overcoming temptation in our life. Submit to God and resist the devil. But I think so many times in our life as believers, we will submit to God and then we flirt with the devil. And instead of resisting the devil and really striving to follow after God, we say, oh, but just a little bit of sin was okay. And in that little bit of sin, that's where we fall. That's where we mess up. As soon as you start to have that little debate in your head of, oh, is this really that bad? The battle's already losing. So that's where we need to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Now, as the betrayal and the arrest comes in verse 47, it says, and while he was still speaking, behold, the multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the 12, went before them, and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, a kiss in their culture was a more common greeting back then than it is now, even amongst the males. And it was often common that a master would offer a kiss on the side of the cheek to his disciple. But it was uncommon for the disciple to try to offer a kiss to the master. And Judas here is kissing Jesus really uh, as a sign of I'm going to follow you as a disciple, but in reality, it's completely hypocritical to what he's really doing. 
because he's identifying Jesus to the soldiers right here. Because he made the agreement with them, hey, I, the one who you guys want, Jesus, in order so that you can know you guys are arresting the right man, I'll walk up to him and I'll give him a kiss. The hypocrisy behind Judas's actions here. Look, if we're going to say that we're Christians, then we can't walk in the dark. We can't be hypocritical. So this is my third point of our study this morning. Point three is be in the light. See, even when our path leads to dark roads, and Jesus should be shining through us so that people in dark places know that we're different than the world. In verse 49, it says, Then those around him saw what was going to happen, and they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. So look, there's a, a commotion now that's happening as Jesus is being arrested. And the disciple Peter, he definitely took the route to protect Jesus at all costs. And I remember when we saw last week of Peter telling Jesus, Lord, these others might deny you, but I will never deny you. See, I, I don't necessarily doubt the love and the zeal that Peter had. I just think it was kind of, kind of misplaced. And he was thinking, I'll, I'll, I'll kill for the kingdom. And he, I, that's exactly what happened. I don't think he was trying to nick the guy's ear off. I think he was going for the head. And he missed. The guy maybe dodged that, that sword strike and it cut off the guy's ear. We know from John's gospel that this man's name was Malchus. And in this, what I see too is Peter is acting now in fear. He's not allowing the light to shine through him, but he's responding to the situation in fear. In verse 52, then Jesus said to the chief priests, the captains of the temple, and the elders who came to him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour, the power of darkness. I, I, first of all, I can't imagine what the guy Malchus who lost his ear was going through mentally, emotionally. As you just, when you lose your ear, first of all, you're not thinking anymore about what your job was to do there. You're thinking, my ear is off. It's gone. And there's pain and blood coming out the side of your head. And then Jesus, the man he came there to arrest, comes alongside, picks up his ear, heals him. What that would do to you in that moment. I like how it, I know I refer to the movie, but the guy just sits there kneeling because like, what, what is he going to do? Go try to arrest the man who just healed him? And Jesus has to tell Peter, Peter, permit even this. You know, hey, and in another gospel, he tells Peter, Peter, don't you realize that if I wanted to, I can call out a legion of my angels to come down here? So it wasn't like Jesus was without power. but He was allowing himself to endure what's going to happen. It says in verse 52, oh, we read verse 52. Verse 53, when I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. See, he's, Jesus is saying to the, the, the Sanhedrin and these soldiers, look, you didn't try to do this to me out in the open and during the day because you knew that this is wrong. That's why you guys came to me at night. And there's a hypocrisy to what these men are doing now to Jesus. I have to ask myself, is there hypocrisy in my life, though? You know, is there hypocrisy in the room this morning? Is there hypocrisy in our lives? What is a hypocrite? Maybe we, we forgot the meaning of a hypocrite. A hypocrite, the word hypocrite, actually literally means somebody who wears a mask. And in the Greek culture, they had the, all these different masks that they would put on during their, their plays, during their theaters. 
but underneath is what's true, what's reality on a person. So do we put on the Christian mask and when we go out inside the world and try to fake the funk? Do we know how to speak Christianese? Do we know how to say, oh, brother, oh, sister, God bless you. But in our hearts, maybe our hearts are far from God. What are we doing in the dark when no one's watching? If this is convicting to us this morning, then let's repent. I think repentance is such a word that kind of brings, oh man, like fear and, 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 and shame. But re- in reality, repentance is us drawing closer to Jesus. And that's what conviction does in our life. Because Satan will try to condemn you. Satan will try to tell you, you're a sinner so therefore, you have no dealings and business to draw, try to draw closer to God. And that's what condemnation is. Condemnation pushes us away from God. But conviction of the Holy Spirit is what draws us closer to him. When we're saying, Lord, you're right. I need to be close to you. In verse 54, Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now we're going to see a few little lessons here in the, in the account of Peter denying Jesus. The first mistake I see Peter make here is that he follows Jesus, but at a distance. You see, we can't follow Jesus at a distance. We need to be close to him. We can't just know about what's going on with Jesus. We, we need to know who Jesus is in our life. In verse 55, it says, Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. So now what Peter, I see him doing here, he's actually sitting and blending in with the enemy. And we're not to blend in with the enemy in our life. We're not called to do that. We're called to shine our light so that people know that we are Christians. And I, I think that in the workplace, in the secular world, that oftentimes we can fail at this in our going to school, maybe in our, our, with our families, that sometimes we try to just blend in with the, the community of whatever environment that we're placed in. And I recognize, look, if, if everybody loves you and everybody thinks you, you, know, you have popularity with you, and fame, and, and just uh, good conversation with everyone, where everyone loves you, I'm wondering if we're too much, a little too much like the world in this. Because if we're true believers, that means that we're going to let people know that Jesus Christ came to this world to die for the sins of the world, and that's going to offend people. So if we're not offending people at times, and use discretion, I'm not saying to go hit people with the Bible in the face. I'm not saying that. But if we're, if, if we're loved by everyone, I, I do question then what our, how true our, our teaching, our, our, our evangelism is. So don't blend in with the enemy. In verse 56, And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him, and said, this man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. Now, this is the first denial that Peter responds to this woman. And it's responding in fear. And whenever we're responding in fear, usually it's the wrong decision. Which leads me to my fourth point this morning. Point number four. Worldly fear is failure. When we have the fear of the world in our hearts and in our mind, it leads to failure. Do you guys remember why the Israelites didn't get to enter into the promised land in the Old Testament? They, they were afraid. They were fearful. They didn't believe in the word that God had told them that they were going to be able to conquer the promised land. And that's the, 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 the failure of disbelief in our life. 
So are we, are we going through things this morning that are going to cause that are causing us right now to that lack fear? You guys realize that that lack of, of of faith in God is what prevented the Israelites from enjoying the promised land and there's a whole spiritual illustration there by the way. Now, you guys remember the the story of Moses, right? The Israelites comes out of Egypt, right? They part the Red Sea, they go out and he's got this land waiting for them. And as they go, he's, they send out 10 spies. They go out there, they look at the land, and then when they come back, they're like, oh my gosh, there's giants in the land, right? There's no way we're gonna be able to conquer them, even though God said to go and conquer. And so they, because of this bad report, they spread it to all the people, and they're saying, oh my gosh, Moses, it would have been better for us to die in Egypt, where we had food, than for us to come all this way to be out here in the wilderness. And then because of this, God said, okay, you want to disbelieve me? Then you're going to stay out here in the wilderness. And they wandered the wilderness for 40 years. This is the lesson for us. Let, let's believe that God is true to his word, that God is going to get us into that place that he has for us. First of all, the big picture of things, that we are secure in our salvation when we are in Christ. That there is a, a better a life, an amazing experience waiting for us after this, that these bodies, though one day they're going to perish and die and fade away, that God's being in heaven with Jesus is going to be the greatest thing ever. To step away from that worldly fear. In verse 58, it says, And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Right here, I'm wondering, like, man, Peter, like, don't, don't you remember Jesus' words, the warning that he gave you? He said that you're going to deny me three times because now he's committing that same denial the second time. And then in verse 59, then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. He denied him three times and then the rooster crows, right? Now Peter is completely denying a relationship with Jesus here. He said, I don't know the man. And he's even in, in other gospels, it says he says it with a curse with it. He says, I, I don't know this man. And he curses the person. And I realized, look, sometimes as believers, in order for comfort's sake and because of fear, because of problems, we pretend that we don't know Jesus. With our family members, our friends, our coworkers, like thinking in our, maybe in our minds, we try to justify it of, I'm just going to get them saved and they're not even going to know that I'm a Christian. It's like, what? Be bold as Christians. Look, the world already thinks you're weird, okay? But God loves you guys just as he created you. So let's be bold as Christians in our walk, in our faith. Share with them. When they ask you, how was your weekend? You're like, oh, it was cool. We just relaxed and didn't do too much, you know. This is with the family. No, tell them you went to church on Sunday and you watched a little bit of the Passion of the Christ that you learned about what it is to put your faith in Jesus and not to be afraid of what the world thinks about you. And see their eyes get big when you tell them this. They're like, oh, the world. Yeah, man, you're right. That's right. I bet you they'll agree with you too. Most people. In verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he said to them, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. See, from so much zeal for fighting for Jesus now, to then putting him, being allowed to go through this little trial, this temptation, these men saying, hey, you were one of the disciples, and then this girl, hey, you were one of the disciples, right? And he's like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared now of this girl, where the girl was the last one. And he's like, I don't know the man. 
so from so much zeal for Jesus to the, the downfall of saying, I, I have no relationship with Jesus. Now, I know not everyone can handle the pressure of, of public ministry. Because I, I, I see that. And when I say public ministry, I, I'll explain. I'm thinking of, as I was going through this, in terms of hypocrisy, we hear about these uh, men, pastors, and leaders in the ch- Christian church who have big fallouts, big blowouts, and, and they put a stain and, and a black eye on, really on, on the Christian church, on Jesus. And I think there's one thing that I see that's happening is that as some men, just they, they grow with their church, they become popular and, and, and famous and they have all this fame and fortune now behind their name and a following that they never take care of, of the compromise, the, the sin that they have in their life. So in order to make sure that they maintain the popularity, the fame, they will not deal with compromise in their life. And that grows and it grows until suddenly you have all, now these documentaries coming out, out about these mega churches and pastors who fall. And you got uh, journalists who are trying to dive in now to what, what is it that's causing these men to, to fall. And now it's, it just completely breaks my heart and brings a, a black eye to the church. That's why I encourage people who are kind of coming into a church who are new to the faith is look, don't look at men, Okay. Because man's going to fail you. I will fail you. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Because the church can fail, but Jesus never fails. And his words never fail. In verse 63, Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. This leads me to my fifth point this morning is remember the passion. And when I say remember the passion, it's not necessarily the movie, but remember the passion that Jesus, he endured. And as you heard me say it at the beginning of the study is I I don't often like to see those types of scenes. I don't often like to reminisce on my Jesus, on our Jesus being tortured but we're called at the same time to remember it. When Jesus was gathered with his disciples and he gave them communion, which we're going to have in a moment, he told them to do this in remembrance of me. The bread being broken as his body was broken. Have you guys ever watched someone be tortured? It's, It's not easy to watch someone get hurt and to go through pain. The whole world... This week, everybody saw Will Smith slapping Chris Brown, right? I'm sorry, Chris Rock. Excuse me. Wow. Sorry. Other guy. Everyone saw that, and everyone gasped, right? I was like, oh, my gosh. The whole world, right? We, We raged when George Floyd was murdered, right? It was terrible. We go back a little bit further when during the World Trade Center, we mourned when we saw people jumping out of the World Trade Center to their death and what we saw these terrorists do there. People were frightened when they saw Princess Diana and her car get destroyed. And when Kennedy, JFK, was assassinated, the whole world mourned again. But to remember and to see Jesus being bruised and beaten, man, that we, we could try to like care less about at times in our life, especially the world, right? Jesus hanging on a cross. This is something that we are called to remember because Jesus loves us. It's not to make us feel bad or ashamed but it's to draw us in a deeper relationship of knowing, look, this is how much God loves you guys. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal, everlasting life. 
in verse 66. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. See, because it wasn't a logical problem that they had with Jesus. It was a heart issue. You know, I, I, con- I cannot convince someone by logic to follow Christ. It has to be the Holy Spirit drawing them in. And you've heard me say before that I will often ask a skeptic of the Christian faith that if I was to prove to them that the Christian faith was real, would they follow it? And if they say, no, I won't follow it, then I say, then it's not a logical issue that you have. It's a heart issue. We're going to read verse 69. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, are you the Son of God? So he said to them, you rightly say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Which leads me to my last point this morning of our study. As Jesus is on the throne. Jesus here, he claims divinity to be at the right hand of the Father. He's saying, look, I am equal with God. Was Jesus under the Father's authority? Absolutely but this is the Trinity we're talking about here. That Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. And he's saying, look, I'm going to be at the right hand of power. No one else can say that but Jesus, the God-man. And is there evil in this world? Absolutely, there's evil in this world. But Jesus, he's reigning over all of it. He's sovereign over it. So whatever we're going through in our day this morning, the things that we're praying about, the, thing, the struggles that we have. Jesus, he is sovereign still that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called. And Jesus, he loves you and he has a plan for you. And this comforts us. So remember, whatever we're going through today, we can walk out of here remembering this, that Jesus is on the throne. Amen.